Moving Iron Podcast is proud to be part of the Global Ag Network. The network is live, so check out globalagnetwork.com for more details and updates. Now on to the show. Moving Iron in the 21st century. Hardworking people working hard for you and me. Moving Iron time and time again. Hello and welcome to Moving Iron Podcast number 143. Today my guests are Jake and Mari of Grand Solar Minimum and you might check them out on Twitter at Grand Solar Minimum at Grand Solar Min, sorry. They also have a YouTube channel called Grand Solar Minimum and you can also check out their website at thegrandsolarminimum.com. Guys, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us, man. This is one of my one of my topics here. I've just kind of kind of fallen into here, real hard and heavy here over the past uh, uh, pretty much this year. And um, I'm I really I really like the idea of what this is, and, and it, it gives a lot of explanation to what's going on around us. So before we jump into all that stuff, though, Jake and Mari, why don't you give me a little background on yourself and and what it is that you guys are you guys are doing. Well, Mari and I uh, jumped in the research of uh, Grand Solar Minimum Solar Cycles back in uh, late 2016. Um, Mari has had a background with... Um, debunking. Debunking, believe it or not. <laughs> but uh, we, we had a, already a fascination. We met on a fascination of space and its weather and everything that, that happens around it. And uh, we met an individual, or actually I met an individual, Mario actually got the pleasure to work along with him as well, uh, Lee Wheelbarger. And he kind of gave us a one-on-one on what was happening with our atmosphere, the sun, all these changes. And at the very beginning, it made my head spin, but it intrigued me. Uh, I've always been very passionate about the weather, curious on why it happens, how it happens. And this theory that he was telling me, which I'd heard of before, but not in detail. And it really made sense when he was talking to me about the science part of what was happening in our atmosphere, what's happening with our sun. So I started talking to Mari about it and Mari being the careful one, which is good because this topic could be, uh, how you call it, uh, considered controversy in a lot of people. In fact, the consensus will tell you that the uh, sunspot theory is not proven, whatnot. But Mari started off as, okay, I'll support you, Jake, on this. If you think you, if you think there's something here for this and we can educate people and show them what's happening, I'm game, but I'm going to let you know. And she was. She was the fence sitter. <laughs> she was uh, the person that really vetted everything to the core. And... Um, so with the research that Mari was doing and myself with having the help of Lee, we also started seeing it with our own eyes middle 2017 and probably summer right around the uh, solar flares that we got in September of 2017. I'd say Mari had seen just about enough in a year and listening to what we were being told and what we were learning ourselves. So after that, um, it just kind of picked up. We started learning more about solar cycles and climate and what the effect is and what the, the CO2, how it doesn't affect. And I think this year 
has been the busiest year of the channel that we've had, not, not because of increase of subscribers, but just because of so much to report. And that's what Mari and I are. We're, we're a channel that reports about the climate, what's really happening and what to expect. And in the years past, when we got to the spring and the summer, grand solar minimum related topics weren't as fluent for us in 2016, 17, but they started to pick up in 18 and definitely uh, this year in 2000, here we are 2019. And I think we've seen just about a little bit of everything every day of the year. And I have it's not been part. able to debunk it yet. No, no, Mari, Mari has not debunked it. So it's um, not debunkable. <laughs> That's <right>. why. <clears throat> I mean, the science, if you dig through the papers, you know, decades worth of scientific research, uh, the history of the cycles speak for themselves. Dynasties rise and fall. Uh, really during these grand cycles yeah during yeah. the grand cycles it is fascinating but it's a big topic to chew off and it goes in a million different directions i relate it to just this puzzle with many pieces that you have to sort of piece together to gain a true understanding mm. wouldn't you say yeah Whew. it's definitely not an overnight <laughs> topic and and the followers that we have, a lot of them have been with our channel since 2017. And we get comments from them from time to time, just like, wow, I never thought it would come to this. And I remember when we first started talking about atmospheric compression, how it, how it happens. And then lo and behold, now it's happening all the time. That hail event that happened in Mexico, that was a classic event of atmospheric compression where it just bombed down loads of precipitation in a short period of time, just as fast as it arrived, it disappeared. But look at all the ice pellets that accumulated in those roads. I don't know if you saw that headline, but there was almost two meters of ice pellets that had accumulated and buried some cars in the streets and stuff. Well, so, some of it had to do with hills, but yeah. the actual so hail all, event six was feet very, didn't fall from the ground, very significant. Okay. Well, let's do this real quick. Let's explain explain to everybody here what what the solar cycle is and what the grand solar minimum means and all that stuff. Okay. Um, so every 11 years, we have a solar cycle. And in that solar cycle, we have a minimum and a maximum. Uh, minimum is where we have a period of time with low solar activity, meaning uh, low sunspots. And uh, that's really the, the gist of the solar cycle when you get to the max is that we have a peak amount of sunspots with more sunspots give off more heat, less sunspots uh, put off cooler temps. But when we get into the minimum parts, there's more things that are happening. I know we say low solar activity, but there's things that you have to be worried about during the minimums, such as coronal holes that create geomagnetic storms that can create uh, radio disruptions here on Earth. We have solar flares to worry about a little bit more because during these minimums, Earth's magnetic field is weakened. So what a solar flare we would get in a strong solar maximum well, that's fine because we have a stronger magnetic field during maximum. So it's a little bit more dangerous with the sun, too, during these solar minimums. So you have your 11-year cycles that happen with a minimum and a maximum. And every 200 years, you get what's called a grand solar minimum. The last grand solar minimum we had was the Dalton minimum. And then uh, Dr. Valentina Sarkova, from her work, she has discovered super grand solar minimum cycles. And that is a period of grand solar minimums every 2,000 years with five grand solar cycles inside of that. 
So you've got your regular 11-year cycle. You've got your grand minimum cycles that are every 200 years. And then you have grand cycles like the Maunder minimum, which was a little bit deeper minimum, colder temps, a lot, uh, a lot of crop loss during that period of time. And then that's, that's considered the grand cycle of 350 to 415. And then, of course, the super grand solar minimum cycles, which happens every 2,000 years. Right. So a lot of new research, a lot more to take in. But the basics right now is that we are in solar cycle 24, heading into solar cycle 25 during this current minimum. Okay. So you're talking like with, with the weekend <clears throat> electromagnetic field and stuff like that, like there could be Carrington events type type actions could happen. And those, would there be a little more prevalent during that, during those times? The no, risk is higher. The risk, risk is, is higher. a lot higher. Yeah. Uh, but with, with a weakened magnetic field on the sun, which is basically what Zarkova was showing us, mm -hmm the weaker the magnetic field is on the Earth. So that allows more cosmic radiation to penetrate our atmosphere, which, by the way, those particles go straight to the core of our Earth. They charge underneath and heat up the core, right. which you have volcanoes going off with that kind of activity from the sun. But at the same time, we have cooling atmosphere. And right now, our TCI, which is our thermosphere temperature index, is almost at a record low. Back in 2009 was the record low of two point. Uh, zero nine, I believe. But so you have a cold atmosphere and you got all this heat generating underneath and everything's going to start to contract, which that's where the earthquakes kind of fall in. Mm -hmm. So um, with, what was I saying? I got, I threw myself. Off. I'm sorry. <laughs> this happens from time that's to time. That's the problem with this sorry. topic. It, you go from talking about the sun <laughs> to what the sun does, and it, it, it oh. controls everything. Weaker magnetic field, yes. So, weaker so the solar field. flares are definitely a problem because the weak, uh, the weakening of the magnetic field. Now, think about the Carrington event. We only had telegraph systems. Right. If we would have had something like that right now, we're off grid for at least seven years. Right. That's that's everywhere, not just parts of the country, but everywhere. I think that's the nation's biggest concern when it comes from the Department of Homeland Security. They put out a report December, I believe, of 2018, uh, warning people of yeah. that everyone. They advised in the report that everyone should have a six-month food supply and be prepared for to have no uh, medicinal, no power, no money, no everything offline for minimum of six months. But uh, I believe scientists have also said that to power on the grid nationwide, if it was a nationwide brownout, it would take up to seven years. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a very delicate situation. Um, and going into these deeper minimums with a weakened magnetosphere, we don't have that extra protection from solar flares and solar activity. Uh, it is worrying. And you'll hear NASA talk about it quite a bit. And, um, and even very subtly though, it, yeah. it's sort of like, you have to read they between say the lines. really scary things, but you have to like the read between the lines because they don't want to alarm everyone about it. It's like, they say it in the most casual manner. I, I, I think what she's trying <laughs> to say, and this is the truth. Um, I have a friend of mine. Um, he used to be a for he used to be a UN interpreter. He knew five languages, Russian, French, um, I, I think German as well. But he was speaking to another UN diplomat from, I believe it was India. And he's always been a part of the sun as the driver of the climate. He never bought the global warming. And I think this was back in 1992. 
And the UN diplomat simply told him the reason why they don't talk about the sun and the climate is because it's too inconvenient. So, you know, when I hear a former UN person, it's almost like, yeah, we know there's that possibility, but that's just something we don't want to think about. Cause I mean, it kind of does kind of spark a little fear when you think about the possibility of losing a grid for seven years because of the vulnerability of earth during these minimums. And we get these freak solar flares. Uh, yeah. Not all of them do that. The, the good thing about the solar minimum is that we have weaker flares, but there's still that chance of that one big one, just that rogue flare that just pops out and discharges. And hopefully we're not going to be earth facing on one of those big X flares during this period of time, especially till at least 2025 where we'll somewhat get a, Stronger magnetic field, but nowhere near the strength that we saw in this solar cycle 24, this yeah. previous solar cycle. Yeah, it's uh, it's crazy to talk about. It's just, it's just, it's a it's a topic that just keeps on giving because there's too many things that that it affects and and you know like to your point, there is a uh, there's enough stuff going on out there right now that anyone that wants to take a look and correlate these these events that we see happening like right now where the heart of the corn belt right now still doesn't have a soybeans planted. You know what I mean? There's, there's still places that still haven't planted soybeans just right now. And that's, that is never been, no one's, that has not ever happened. Right. So back to your earlier statement, you know, you talked about dynasties rising and falling on this. This is not something that is just comes out. have just come out of the blue, right? This is something that scientifically you can, is supported through tree ring, data through ice core data through written historical record you name it this is something that we you can track back thousands and thousands of years so talk about that a little bit and then how how that data right there is getting to be so suppressed now i don't want suppressed isn't the right word it's just not mainstream event you know what i mean um, it's it, suppressed okay. um so it is verifiable you can right. um find records of these and how they measured uh, carbon 14 measurements. Uh, but yes, like you said, ice, ice cores, uh, sediments from the ocean floors, uh, tree rings, everything that you mentioned is how these scientists, I mean, this is the deep, this is where we trust in the science and their results have shown us what's happened over thousands of years. All right. Valentina Zarkova's charts with her math, her calculations go right along with these minimums, okay, when it's supposed to happen, when it's not supposed to happen. These tree rings and ice cores also show the sunspot. And I know people are kind of thinking, well, how do you know how many sunspots you had back in 1645? Well, they had their records. They were able to correlate the estimate of number of sunspots and compared it to historical periods of time that were on um, uh, record of measurements and then they were able to correlate the data they found from the ice cores with sunspot information and was able to reconstruct climate temperatures precipitation everything in that nature um, but as far as being proven only recently have we started to see some peer-reviewed papers that are now being accepted with these solar cycles having an effect on our climate. I want to make a quick comment how this year has started to change in that disclosure. 
Weather.com put out an uh, article back in December or January talking about why it's cold. Noah predicted this winter to be a mild, if not above, average temperatures. And on Weather.com, and this is the first time I've ever seen a major weather corporation ever admit this, but they attributed to their research and the reason why Weather.com was calling for cooler temperatures in January and February and March in most of the country was they actually acknowledge that where we are in the solar cycle contributes to why we are seeing this weak polar vortex and, and this cold blast and this precipitation. They actually acknowledged it. Their research company, the Watson IBM company, acknowledged mm -hmm. that solar cycles are playing a factor in why we are experiencing such cold weather this past winter. So the science has always been there. The problem with the science is, is that not enough people have the time to really dig into this to verify it for themselves. They have to have the short, quick, and easy answer. And unfortunately, there have been politicians and actors who have played the role of global warming being the truth and nothing but the truth. When you understand how much money that people give out for uh, grants for studying this, I think you'll understand why this conception of man is causing warmth and global climate change they're protecting the money this is their bread and butter this is what they do so when you said suppress yeah you, you better believe it's suppressed because that information the scientific information from records way back before us is not good for their current co2 theory in fact during the medieval warming times our CO2 parts per million was at 270 parts per million, and we were super warm back then. Today, we are sitting at 415 parts per million CO2 in the atmosphere, and temperatures have been on a steady decline over the past three years. So the CO2 is still rising, but our global temperatures have actually dropped 0.52 degrees Celsius in the last three years. So with the solar cycle evidence and the scientific proof that we have already, and just looking at your, your charts and maps, when you see CO2 still rising and temps are beginning to fall, it, it's starting to get a little obvious. And people like NASA are having a hard time hiding it now. Okay. So let's talk about like the Dalton minimum, for example. When, when you start looking back at these things, you had the Dalton minimum and the, uh, what was the one before that? The uh, Monder minimum. Monder minimum, yeah. <clears throat> Give me an example so, of what we could expect to see kind of coming through. Because we're not talking like a two-year period here. We're talking like 50 years, 80 years of, of climate change, of legitimate climate change where things go off, they go off the charts as far as, as temperature and weather activity goes and, and all the other effects that come along with the sun that, ha that the sun has on, on there. So talk about that a little bit and what that looks like. Sure. Um, the Monder minimum and the Dalton minimum had different strengths. Um, the Dalton minimum was not as cold as a period. Uh, we did have certain phenomena that did create uh, things like the year without a summer. Mm -hmm. In 1815, we had uh, Mount Tambora, yeah. which exploded. And in 1816, the northeast of the United States <clears throat> did not have a summer that year. Um, so there were significant things that happened during the Dalton minimum, but really the type of cycle that we're facing right now, uh, according to Zarkova's work and her graphs, uh, we are approaching 
the monitor minimum type grand solar minimum at this point, which is going to be a longer, like you mentioned, uh, Zarkova is saying for at least till 2055, but those effects could be long lasting over overlapping that into well into 2060, 2070, before we start to see a normal type climate, like we knew growing up in the seventies, eighties and nineties. Mm-hmm. So, um, really the difference between the two, the Dalton was a little bit uh, weak. It wasn't as weak as the monitor. The monitor was colder. We had a lot more crop loss. We had a lot more famine. We had a lot more disease and that's just due to weak infrastructure. Of course, technology's changed since 1645, but we have 7.5 billion people to feed now. Right. And what we're seeing right now is just the, this is the pregame show to next year when we get into 2020 and in the next spring where there's a lot of space weather, a lot of uh, things that are predicted that are going to really affect the climate. We're going to see more cosmic radiation, which is going to be more flooding, more rains, more snow. Uh, This year is just, like I said, this is just a taste of what 2020 and 2021 are supposed to bring us and the peak part of this minimum here before we get to a, a very, very minor maximum in solar cycle 25. So I hope that answered your question. What we're heading into is a monitor type, which was a lot colder, a lot longer, and we had a lot of problems with crops due to like conditions that we're seeing today. Growing conditions, um, yeah. Dalton was definitely not as bad, but it still was considered a grand solar minimum. Okay, so talk about kind of how the how this. Okay, so we had all the like the polar vortexes and all those kind of things that come along, and and um, what we saw happen this year. So. The way the way it's been explained to me, and, and I'm very I'm very much a layman in this here, but the way it's been explained to me is that the way that the magnetic force equalizes on both sides of the sun, so then that that weakens the magnetic force on uh, around the uh, around the Earth, which then lets the uh, the jet stream dip lower down uh, down south than it does, and, and that which then lets more of that cold air down. Um, and to deeper parts and more frequently, is that correct? Is my am I am I explaining that correctly? And that's why we have these big, huge swings and these these epically cold weather patterns that come through this 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 winter. Yes, that has a lot to do with it. And the reason why the jet stream is so wavy, like it is, is due to low solar activity. Meaning, low solar wind is happening a lot more frequently than it does during a max. And when you have higher solar winds, when you have more TSI coming from the sun and the magnetic field is stronger then the jet stream strengthens and it tightens up and it's not as wavy. But when you have a weaker magnetic field and we have low solar winds most of the time, which allows the jet stream to kind of just wander and kind of do its thing. And that's why you're absolutely right. That's why we're seeing such erratic behavior from our jet stream it has everything to do with earth's magnetic field and solar wind affecting it and really the uh the the wet pattern that we see here <clears throat> in the u.s is uh we're kind of we're in one of those dips that's right where the so that's what's having the uh the, the colder air and the moisture that we see happening in the middle of the country but you get on the and outside of that you start looking at what's happening in california and along the west coast and what's happening in the, in the extreme southeast part of the United States, they're in an epic drought. Same way with up in uh, up in Canada, in uh, oh, was that Manitoba, Saskatchewan area? They're all in epic droughts. They're on the outsides of those cones. They're that of that, that dip down. So 
you, it just depends on where you're at in one of those cones, correct? As to far as as far as what the what your weather is going to be, is that is that right? Yeah, very regional. In fact, during the last big grand solar minimum, Alaska, am I correct? It was a warmer climate during the grand solar minimum. Which we see was it monitor? Was it the monitor minimum? So the monitor minimum in Alaska was warmer up there, and right now. What are we seeing? It, it, and Noah confirms it too. We're much above average in temperatures up there. It's a lot warmer. I giggle when I see the mainstream media saying, oh, we're losing ice in Alaska. But if they would just go back in time and look this up, they would see that there's record about how Alaska does warm up during this period of a solar, a grand solar minimum. Right. So you're right. It's a regional thing. Um, and all we have really is to look at what happened in the past, in the history of what, what region got this climate, what region got that climate, and all they can do is reconstruct that model. But comparing it to the same numbers, what we had back then and now, and now that we see these patterns forming like they did back in 1645 and beyond, I think the confirmation is just me and you being able to watch on our social media. Every day someone's posting some freakish weather event, flood, hail, wind, tornado, mudslide, avalanche, snow. Rain bombs. Every, every day, I think we, we pretty much get a taste. And maybe, maybe we do every day because we follow this and we know where to look for this stuff. But uh, it wasn't this frequent back in 17 and 16. Not the way we've been following no. it as closely reporting on nearly everything. Uh, major the the sheer amount of extreme weather events has increased significantly yeah it's very alarming yeah it, well out here where i'm at we had we had two uh two bomb cyclones in this winter in 30 days um we had a blizzard in uh what was that was that april we had the- you guys had the lando cane yeah Yep. So we had, I mean, and for those that don't know what a bomb cyclone is, it's the same thing as basically a, the, the low pressure that comes across the area gets low enough and it drops fast enough that it, it, you basically have the same low pressure system that you'd have in a hurricane, right? And we had two of those in 30 days. We had one that dropped, I don't know how many inches of snow it was. It, depending on where you're at, it was somewhere between, you know, uh, 24 to 36 inches, depending on where you were at. Um, even up in the north and south Dakota, I think they may even gotten in, into like the four feet range. Um, but we had 50, 60 mile an hour winds with that. We had, um, and that was a once in a lifetime type blizzard. And uh, are you sure that's, are you sure it didn't happen last year or the year before, or maybe when <laughs> yeah. you were a kid sometime? No. I mean, that's what mainstream's trying to tell you about some of these events. That right. This has happened before. And that's well. That's funny that you say that because I was watching the Weather Channel, right? And I'm trying to get all this data, you know, kind of trying to get my bearings here. And I go out and get my candles and get all this stuff lined up, get the old propane heater and get the propane full. And I'm thinking, man, this is this is kind of kind of crazy, you know? You think you the term bomb cyclone is is something I've it's probably in my lexicon probably for the last 24 months. To be honest with you, the first time I ever heard it was I thought the Weather Channel made it up, kind of like to do with the naming the winter storms and all that stuff yeah. now you know i mean i thought that's something they made up now i went and looked it up on the internet and of course it is a scientific term but um but bomb cyclones usually happen in nor'easters right or the northeast so right. to get one where you are is just people are scratching their head like how did that happen yep and it's it's such a a crazy event but you but you when you watch the weather channel and you watch these things and and the stuff that you see happening they the science that they that they present it with is 
it's it's full of holes. You know what I mean? It's not like the whole they're just kind of explaining it away, and it's not they don't really dive into anything. And that's I guess that's the part that really bothers me the most about this is that there isn't that platform out there on, on in the mainstream that's that's saying, hey, look, okay, yeah, there's some there's some pollution issues, and there's these things that we see happen out there. Absolutely, no doubt about that. But the overall climate's being affected by the sun, and it's not this. And this is why, and you can see why. And if you go back in the history and look, all that stuff's there. And this is not, you know, we're not have tinfoil hats on right now talking about no. some crazy thing. This is all scientifically backed data that that you can go back hundreds of thousands of years and 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 show what's happened and what hasn't happened. So that's kind of the the frustrating part with me, I guess, when I look into this. Yeah, and you know. To all the farmers that follow your show, we hear you, and we get the comments every day on our videos talking about the one guy who's been driving a truck for 35 years in the Midwest. He said he's never driven across the Midwest and look at the fields the way they are right now. Every state is so anemic, and it's frustrating. And I can't, you know, a friend of mine from Nebraska, his name is Matt, he sends me videos. I'm not that uh, privy to farming. But Matt shows me what he does, and he has a small farm. It's 2,500 acres, so it's nothing huge, but it's big enough for him. And the amount of work that goes into this, and where, where, what gets me the most is the amount of work that get, goes into this year in and year out. And to hear the, uh, government agencies like the USDA not just look everybody in the eye and be straight with them and, and, and give this inflated number that's going to create some maybe false hope in the markets, but the reality of this, and I'd say, I, I remember hearing another ag, tra, uh, ag talk uh, podcast where the guy that actually was giving this information was talking with these guys on this podcast show and his voice, very nervous, very trembly with every answer. He was answer. from the USDA, right? Oh, he, was, yeah, he was from the, yeah, yeah, the person they were interviewed was from the USDA. And he just kept referring, he just kept referring to this acreage report that was coming out. That's all we can really do right now. So when I saw the acreage report and then they're talking about resurveying these certain states in August, that's where I feel like we're really going to see the bad news of what's going to happen this fall with food prices. I, I saw a chart from uh, Goldman Sachs, I believe, mm-hmm. and they're predicting the the spike in pricing beginning in the fall, which usually is going down because of our harvest and right. everything's going yep. good. So winter prices, winter prices, and late fall prices and winter food prices are shooting way up. So mm-hmm. I guess the overall message is now that you've had us on your uh, show, and we're trying to help people understand that this is only going to be something that's going to continue to get worse. Mario and I were talking about this earlier. This is where we have to start talking about innovation. How to adapt. Right. You know, we, we as a nation, as, a, as just earthlings on this planet, we're all going to be affected by this. And we really have to start discussing solutions. Uh, and being innovative. How are we going to overcome these crazy weather patterns? Do we convert different systems to indoor growing? I mean, we have to think out of the box and it's not going to be easy, but we, we right now, unfortunately, I feel like we're late starting that discussion. And that's the scary part. We, 
have an immediate need for innovative minds to start discussing how we can evolve out agriculture with these new weather patterns we're going to be experiencing a minimum of the next three decades. Then we'll get a break, hopefully. <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's all in history and you just have to look back and take your time. And, you know, my research trying to debunk this, I wanted to be, you know, wrong when I, when I decided, okay, Jake, I can't debunk this topic. I'm, I'm on board. We're going to research this and, and get the word out so we can have as many people prepared for this. We talk about growing food, people being more sustainable, being able to provide better uh, society and masses taken everything for granted what we have. I don't think many walking into like a Walmart buying vegetables even think about farmers. And that's sad because we see firsthand how, how important the farming and agriculture is, people are. <laughs> it's, right. it's scary. Yeah. But we have, to, <laughs> we have to start the discussion and we have to try somehow to come up with solutions. Yeah. Where do you start? This is a tough, this is a tough pill to swallow. This is, this has been a challenge for us for the past three years. Uh, our YouTube channel, our website, things have really grown really fast for us here lately because people are seeing it for themselves. Yep. So this is not something that I really like. Yeah. I told you guys I was right. I, I, I wish I was wrong. We didn't want to be right, but we when... thought it was going to be a soft landing. In fact, if you mm -hmm. watched us back in 17, we were saying, hey, guys, I think this is going to be one of those things where we got some time to get ready for this. We're going to start seeing some weird weather. And then 2018 really ramped up. And then this year, there's just no way with everything that's been confirmed already in the last three weeks as well, on top of what we're seeing with our own eyes. Um, I agree with Mari. I think we're a little late on trying to think of solutions. We're going to have to come up with some quick solutions. If this continues to get worse, like it has yeah. uh, next year, like I said, we haven't seen anything yet. Yep. We got confirmation from NOAA, NASA, other solar scientists like Valentina Zarkova, John Casey's work also accurately predicted solar 20, uh, solar cycle 24 and his predictions match up very similar to Valentina Zarkova. Um, everything really is coming to the forefront. It's you, you have to start absorbing the information as complex as it is and understanding this is a natural cycle. And what we've been taught on a grand scale about climate hasn't been necessarily accurate. There's a lot more to it. And it's much more complex than a weatherman just getting on the screen saying it's going to rain for the next like four days. You know, it's, it's so complex. Yeah, it's a, uh, <clears throat> it's crazy. And to your point about the farming side of it, I mean, you know, I had a guy on this morning that talked about, you know, a crop looks amazing for May 2nd, but it's July 2nd. So it's, uh, you know, it's, we, we're so far, we're easily four weeks to maybe even five weeks behind schedule as far as, as, uh, growing goes, you know, and, and just what it looks like. So, um, our, historically our first frost of the year is October 15th. And, um, if we're 30 days behind, that means we're going to be pollinating late August, you know, instead of July and August. So it'll be I mean, interesting to see how this year shakes out. I mean, we could have, if everything just stays the same and nothing goes, there's no early frost or anything like that, we're going to run into some problems just because of 
where the crop is right now. So there's, I'm, I'm right there with you. There's, there's a lot of things going on that are, um, kind of scary, kind of make you think about what's going on, you know, and, and, and what the, what the overall kind of outlook of the whole next year or two even looks like, you know, you start cutting into carry out and what does that do? And you start looking at, at tightening supplies across the world and, and, and what we see happening. There's a, there's some, there's some trouble on the horizon. Yeah. And, um, with the whole, the whole late crops, what, what worries me the most is if you're 30 days behind now, what, what day, what, what data are we looking at as far as when you guys are picking, like what, oh, what date? We just start. We usually start sometime, you know, late September, early October, and that's about when we're. That's when we're usually in the fields getting after it. But if you're 30 days late, you're going to be. Yeah, we'll be starting in November. Right. (laughs) So you know, which I mean, it's not uncommon to have guys cutting corn uh, or picking corn in um, in in November and December just because of weather. I mean, corn can stay in the husk fine for whatever, but. There is a, it's it's not so much about when it gets cut, it's about when it gets finished and how that got finished, and that's that's the, that's the big deal. And I know, uh, just looking at the GFS coming up in the next few weeks, uh, you know, we got moist chance for rain for the next few days, and then we do hit some dry weather for Iowa, Indiana, Illinois, Ohio, parts of Nebraska and Kansas for about five six days before once again the atmosphere reloads and starts dumping rain back in the central plains and the Midwest once again. So yep. I don't know what that does for you guys, but I, I, I've heard that there's some farmers that need about seven to 10 days of no rain to get things really working for them. And with this weather pattern, I, there's right now, there's no way that's going to happen in the central plains in the Midwest. I hope I'm wrong, but with this weather pattern so far from the winter to the spring, even in the summer, the intensity of the amount that's falling is, is, quieting down a little bit but the the fact that we're still seeing one to two inches of rain in some areas every other day is not helping matters whatsoever and i don't see any end of that uh, pattern right now either unfortunately no there's there's a lot of meteorologists that i follow and trust on twitter and um one of which is uh bam weather but they they've done a really good job of of kind of predicting this rainfall and when these gaps are going to be and and they've done a really good job with that this year and um they have got july is a uh, cold or cooler and wetter than normal across yep. the entire country so um, after the 15th yep yep so it's going to be uh it's going to be a trip you know i'm going to montana here next week for vacation and the place that we normally go up there is it's uh they are 10 to 15 degrees cooler than they are normally you know we're, we're looking at somewhere in the the mid 60s for yeah. highs you know normally it's 75 degrees you know right around there you know upper 70s not quite 80 you know and but that means the nights are going to be nice and cool too you know sure sure so it's going to be uh it's it's just this is a this is a trip man and i'm it's going to be a a rocky ride for a while agreed okay well jake and mar you guys have any last thoughts you want to throw out there before we shut down the podcast Go ahead first. Uh, well, I mean, we welcome everyone to stop on by to our YouTube channel. We have met a whole community of people. It's a mix of just people who live in the city. We have farmers. We have people in agriculture. It's it's a real mixed bag of people all trying to work together to figure out 
what exactly is going on, what are we facing, and most importantly, different solutions on how to overcome and adapt to these climactic changes. Um, kind of echoing what she said, you know, this is not an end-all situation, but it can be a challenging one, and it can be pretty scary. And uh, if we're not careful, it could get bad quick. But if this word gets out and people start becoming aware of what's going to continue to happen, and we start thinking outside the box, like we mentioned earlier with indoor growing, stuff like that, that that's where we're going to have to get creative and figure out ways to uh, be able to grow like who knows what next year holds for us, but this year doesn't look great. It's not all gloom and doom. We've got States that are doing really good in crops. I know Texas, Tennessee and areas like that, they're doing fine, but it's getting, it's the problem is becoming worldwide and it seems to be on a frequent basis now, not just a little bit here and there. And we just have to be, you know, ready to adapt is basically my message. Yeah. I mean, we need I don't to learn know, and adapt. We don't know the whole farming agricultural aspect of it, but we have to start discussing more cold and wet hardy products that we should be producing rather than these ones that are going to be more challenging. I mean, I know that there are some farmers I know in Northern Canada, like, um, that are doing like hemp and like, cause hemp seed has like a lot of protein in it. You know, we might have to, think outside of the box and convert our crops drastically to be able to have a decent food supply. Yeah. I mean, it sounds crazy, but that's the type of, you know, innovative thinking we're going to have to face if we want to be able to still produce food. No, no matter the technology that we have now, if someone says like Dr. Zarkova is a PhD physicist, astrophysicist, if she's telling me that conditions are going to be like that of the Maunder minimum, Regardless of technology, we know it's going to be really cold, harsher winters, and much shorter growing seasons. And that's something that we need to be ready for. Uh, that's the main message of our channel, is that if we are heading into those times, we are most of us are not prepared for this, and we need to start getting ready for it. Yep, <clears throat> absolutely. Well, Jake and Mar, I appreciate you guys being on. Why don't you give out your uh, your social media sites one more time, and, and we'll close it down. All right. Uh, we are at the grandsolarminimum.com on YouTube as Grand Solar Minimum channel and on Twitter at Grand Solar Min. That's Grand Solar Min, M I N. Right on. Well, I encourage everyone to go out and take a look at their stuff. Uh, like I said, I find this to be a very intriguing topic and it's got a lot of, uh, a lot of, uh, potential to have a, a big effect on everything that we do moving forward. And if, if, this this growing season is not uh, evidence enough as far, you know going through the winter and everything else so um guys i appreciate you being on the podcast and uh hope to talk to you again soon thank all right thank you for much. having us thanks for listening to this edition of the moving iron podcast now part of the global ag network if you'd like to continue any of these conversations you can hit me up on facebook twitter or instagram at moving iron llc you can also send me an email at moving iron podcast at moving iron podcast.com you can also visit the Moving Iron Podcast YouTube channel and watch Market Roundup with Chip Nellinger, Sean Hackett, and Angie Setzer. Also, Tax Moves with Glenn Birnbaum. Please visit movingironllc.com. Here you can find information, details, and updates for the 2019 Moving Iron Summit in Nashville, Tennessee. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can leave a review and subscribe at iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher Radio, TuneIn Radio, SoundCloud, and globalagnetwork.com. So until next time, let's go move some iron. This is Casey Seymour, out. Mm-hmm. In the 
21st century.